Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And at the World Cup, it's going to be France versus Croatia. Vive la France. Go France. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Thursday, July 12. It is The Bill Press Show, and so good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. For our little roundup of the uh, news of the day, lots to talk about. Yep, our crazy uncle is uh, still over there embarrassing the hell out of us uh, at NATO. Uh, you know, he, he goes from attacking all of our allies to trying to schmooze with all of our allies, uh, from getting people to agree to spend 2% more, 2% on, uh, on defense, which is uh, what he was pushing. And then he says, all right, now you've agreed to that. Let's double it. Let's go up to 4%. They don't know what the hell to make of him. But that's all right. Neither do we. Yeah, news on a lot of other fronts, too. Uh, the Democrats lining up to do battle here over the uh, Brett Kavanaugh nomination to the Supreme Court. Zeroing in more and more on the argument that this is a man who says no president should be distracted by any lawsuit or any investigation or any subpoena from any special counsel. Uh, it looks like that's why he got the job in the first place. That's exactly what Donald Trump wanted to hear. We've got so much to talk about and so much you are going to want to comment on. So thank you for being with us and you know how to do it. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter. Uh, at BP Show on this Thursday, uh, July 12. Again, Peter Ogburn uh, got the week off, so Ray Rogers is uh, stepping up, has stepped up, and keeping the uh, good ship Bill Press afloat. Good and morning, doing a Bill. great job. Hello, Ray. Uh, How are you? Doing yeah. well. Before we uh, jump into the big stories of the day, uh, a couple of other little items here. By the way, um, we talked about Starbucks the other day getting rid of plastic straws, which is a great move. On Huge the, step forward. On the corporate uh, corporate uh, uh, side. 
another um, big move yesterday, uh, related, uh, not necessarily to do with recyclable things, but Southwest Airlines announced that they are going to stop serving peanuts starting no more free peanuts on star uh, on southwest starting next month because so many people have peanut allergies and boy i love peanuts and i love getting them on the plane i look forward to it but i i know friends who have serious peanut allergies and kids with serious peanut allergies i mean like fatal deathly yeah, yeah. i was shocked i just flew southwest <laughs> when i went to seattle a few days ago um, and they were still serving peanuts, and actually my husband and I were really surprised by it because mm -hmm. so many places now you see signs that say nut-free, like don't bring any nuts within 10 feet of this place. Right. It's not just that you don't get the peanuts, but if you can smell, and you can. You can, you can smell, smell it, you smell touch. Them, yeah. The person alongside of you, the dust gets all over the place. So uh, good move on their part, I think, to, just to be said, you know, serve some pretzels or something instead. Yeah, they're, they served pretzels, cookies, like coffee, tea. There are other snacks, yep. right? Don't need the uh, don't need the peanuts. So good for Southwest Airlines, uh, and I think it's uh, we, it's a very sad note. I wanted to mark, uh, and that is the death of Jaja. Yes, sad, sad. Now I'm not mm -hmm. talking about Jaja Gabor. I'm talking about Jaja the Bulldog, uh, named after Jaja Gabor. Jaja the Bulldog, uh, last month, was named just a month ago was named the ugliest dog in the country or maybe in the world. But was it one of those dogs, Bill, in your opinion, that was so ugly that it was actually kind of charming and cute? No. I think <laughs> I think no, pretty, just ugly? Just, it's actually the world's ugliest contest, dog, uh, world's ugliest dog contest. Jaja won uh, just a month ago in Petaluma, California. Jaja lives or lived in Anoka, Minnesota. She died in her sleep. Um, she was so ugly, so... The lady took her to to uh, to the contest, and what she did, she sneezed all over the judges and drooled on them. Her favorite food was a a Slim Jim or a steak burrito from Chipotle. Oh, R.I.P. Jaja. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, now you've agreed to uh, spend 2% on defense spending. Let's double it. Let's go up to 4%. Yeah, how's that? <laughs> well, how's that for a thank you? Uh, as uh, several people remarked yesterday, Donald Trump had a chance to make a victory lap in Brussels instead he turned the occasion into a chance to yet again attack all of our allies and make a fool of himself. What an embarrassment for all the rest of us uh, to have this buffoon representing us at NATO. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, Thursday, July 12. Great to see you today. It's good to have you with us as we launch uh, another edition here of the uh, Bill Press Show. Hello, 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 wherever you are in this great land of ours. We welcome you and we join you. Uh, in our discussion of the news of the day. Uh, you'll find us here in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., right in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, about five metro stops away from the uh, White House where uh, I was there yesterday. Boy, it was an empty, empty White House yesterday. 
Um, nobody in the briefing room, nobody mm. upstairs. I just wandered around <laughs> you know, picking up souvenirs. Yeah, did you get take some pictures <laughs> off the wall to hang in your house? No, because the pictures are pictures of Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump. I, Aww. Yeah, I, I didn't want to take any of those with me at all. Uh, but uh, we are here to bring you up to date on what's going on, joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show podcast, podcast the rest of the day. And don't forget, and over the weekends, as long as you go to BillPressShow.com and sign up. Also joining you on Free Speech TV, hello out there in TV land, and on the radio statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, uh, and Chicago, weighing in strong the entire greater Chicago area with w on WCPT, the great progressive voice of Chicago. Uh, yes, indeed, we start uh, today with, uh, by the way, great lineup of guests today. Addie Baird will be joining us from uh, Think Progress. Uh, and then our good friend Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, will hear as a friend of Bill uh, for our uh, second hour together. Uh, and uh, Joel and I and all of you, joined then by Rebecca Lieber, who covers uh, the environment for Mother Jones and was there yesterday at EPA when the new head of EPA, who was Scott Pruitt's deputy, tried to convince the employees of EPA uh, that he will be uh, a kinder, gentler Scott Pruitt, but did not agree to change any of the policies of Scott Pruitt, of course, because they are the wreck the environment policies of Donald Trump. But the focus in the main spotlight still is on NATO yesterday, where it, it, it's just a just a joke. It's a clown act. I mean, as we talked yesterday, Donald Trump went into the summit only after uh, attacking Germany, calling Germany a captive of Russia. By the way, I thought that um, Angela Merkel had a very classy response to Donald Trump. She just said, look, we've been under Soviet occupation. I grew up when Soviet had invaded and occupied the eastern part of Germany. We know what it's like to be, for, 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 for Russia, Soviet Union, to be a threat. We know firsthand. So basically, don't lecture us about being captives of Russia. That's all she said. She didn't attack back. She just made, made, made that point. I thought it I thought it was very, very profound and very well done. Anyway, Donald Trump goes into the summit after attacking Germany, after attacking Theresa May, after attacking everybody for saying they were freeloaders and not paying enough. And then he goes in. I don't know whether you saw the video. The video, I never saw. I mean, I saw tons of it. I never once saw Donald Trump smile. And by the way, you notice everybody, they're chatting, they're talking, and the whole thing. And he's just standing by himself. Yeah, it's supposed to be a room of friends. Yeah, you know, just, oh, just had that ugly look on his face. Like the last place in the world he wanted to be. Guess what? He's the last person they wanted there, right? <laughs> yeah. So they were ignoring him. He was ignoring them. It was embarrassing. And it started out with this breakfast yesterday morning where he made the big deal about, you guys aren't paying enough. We're paying too much. We're tired of it. And the whole thing. And, uh, uh, just, just, just stop for just a second. As we pointed out yesterday, Donald Trump does have a point. A point that was first raised by President Obama. Of course, Trump would never admit that. And it was President Obama who got them to agree to pay more, a bigger percentage of their GDP for defense spending, at least 
He got them to agree to that in 2014, he, Obama, and they did agree by 2024 they'd all be up to 2%. Only four countries are above 2% now, led by the United States. We're actually paying, we actually have 3.5% of our GDP for defense spending worldwide, by the way, not just uh, not just in Europe. Uh, but if that's your goal, we have surpassed the goal a long time ago. So he's got a point the other countries should pay more, and we should not be uh, giving them a, a free ride. But they've agreed to do so, and they are paying more. So Donald Trump at, at breakfast yesterday makes the whole thing, you know, humiliates them, scolds them, uh, and then turns around and says, but you know what, all right, now that they've agreed to 2%, and now more and more are close to 2%, suddenly Donald Trump raises the, raises the stakes and says, no, it's got to be 4%. Now, for unilaterally dictates, tries to, that it's got to be 4%, which kind of makes a joke of the whole thing. And, you know, if they said 4%, they would say, no, it's got to be 8%. You know, they, nobody takes them seriously. No, they shouldn't. And I'll tell you who, one person who doesn't take them seriously, I hope, Go online if you haven't seen it to see the video of Chief of Staff John Kelly sitting there. So Trump sitting there to his right is Kay Bailey Hutchinson, the former senator from Texas, who is our ambassador to NATO. She was, you could tell, mortally embarrassed. I mean, the, the expressions of her face were kind of like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm sitting alongside of this clown. But then next to her, to her right, was John Kelly. And at one point... He's looking at Trump, and Trump says whatever about the about you, you're being freeloaders, and 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 Kelly just goes, "Oh God!" And he the expression on his face, and he turns away like he wants to throw up. It is classic. <laughs> he, he cannot hide it. It's total disgust with what Trump like is saying. Repulsion to the president of the United States. Total. And so, this is the look. I've heard some. Uh, Bat, you know what crazy things that Sarah Huckabee Sanders has said over the last year, but nothing compared to what she said <laughs> yesterday. She was asked about the expression, the facial expressions, the gestures of, of, of John Kelly, and she said, no, he was just reacting because he expected a full breakfast, and instead all they served were cheese and muffins. <laughs> <laughs> That, I mean, you got to admit, this, they're just shameless. She is totally shameless. <laughs> Kelly is looking at Trump. He's not thinking about breakfast. He's looking at Trump speaking, and when Trump says something, he just turns his head in disgust. He's yeah. upset that Southwest mm -hmm. isn't serving peanuts anymore. Maybe that's what it was, yeah. I don't know. I, maybe she could have said, well, he had gas pains. I don't know. But at any rate, it was just it was nuts. Uh, but meanwhile, I thought it was interesting uh, that while he was um, ranting and making a fool of himself about NATO, um, the House of Representatives passed a resolution by unanimous voice vote in support of NATO and saying how important it is that we continue to defend, uh, to, to be part of the defense of Europe uh, through, through NATO and that the United States continue to fund NATO, and even the Speaker, Paul Ryan, and you know, seldom has heard a discouraging word from Paul Ryan uh, about Donald Trump, even the Speaker yesterday had to say, uh, on this one, I do, very, very mildly critical, I do disagree with the President. 
I subscribe to the view that we should not be criticizing our president while he's overseas, but let me say a couple of things. Uh, NATO is indispensable. It's as important today as it ever has been. Yes, uh, absolutely right about that. And by the way, you know, the thing about that uh, uh, several people have pointed out that's really troubling about the president's role uh, and, and behavior at NATO. And, you know, all, again, until 18 months ago, we were considered the leader of the Atlantic Alliance, and people looked up to us, and they counted the United States, and they respected us, and they welcomed us. And now it's just like, you know, the skunk at the lawn party, right? The, tur- the turd in the punch bowl when Donald Trump shows up. Uh, and I mean, it's a, it's a sudden change. And as several people again pointed out, what Donald Trump is doing is exactly what Vladimir Putin wants to do which is to sow disunity, to sow discord among the Atlantic Alliance, among Western Europe, among Western civilization. And he hadn't been able to do so until Donald Trump comes along and helps him. And Donald Trump is doing Putin's dirty work for him. And now, I mean, he's sort of like confirming that by, after dumping all over NATO— and this, what probably will prove to be a pretty embarrassing visit to the U.K., he's going to turn around, end this, uh, this uh, European trip with the one-on-one meeting with Vladimir Putin, saving, if he, I mean, for Donald Trump, saving the best to last for him. He even says it's going to be the easiest of all because he doesn't like those first people in NATO, but he loves Vladimir Putin. His new, his new best friend, well, in addition to Kim Jong-un. Uh, and so this is all he's, you know, kind of trashing NATO in order to make the way for the big love fest with Vladimir Putin on Monday um, in, in Helsinki. Uh, it really does set us back um, uh, and undoes, uh, uh, unravels alliances that, we've, uh, that have been strong and very important to the United States for the last— 70, 75 years uh, ever since the Cold War. One other thing that's uh, that's unraveling, uh, of course, is um, Donald Trump and tariffs. The White House announcing yesterday that, remember, this this um, trade war building, building, it started with Donald Trump slapping $34 billion worth of tariffs on products made, pardon me, in China and imported into the United States. China retaliated by putting up another just about the same amount of tariffs on American products. Uh, the White House announcing yesterday that we are now going to up the ante on top of those earlier tariffs, uh, tariffs on another $200 billion worth of Chinese goods, um, which include um, kitchen utensils, kitchen appliances, towels, seafood, shampoo, soap, furniture, designer goods. I mean, across the board, these are 10 to 20 percent tariffs on $200 billion worth of goods. Some 10,000 products made in China now subject to, uh, to additional tariffs on the part of the United States. And I mentioned all of those things. Those are all things utensils, appliances, seafood, soap, shampoo, all that kind of stuff, furniture, that American consumers are going to pay more for. This trade war 
is already starting to impact American consumers across the board and will do so now even more. I mean, big time with this $200 billion. Uh, CBS News reported last night, no, it was NBC News reported last night, that the cost of a new home in the United States is already $9,000 higher because of Donald Trump tariffs on lumber. So people are already paying 9000 more for a new home, right? So, I mean, this, th- th- this is hurting American consumers, I'll tell you. This is going to backlash and bite Donald Trump in the ass once people realize that they're paying more and more and more for more products, and it's all because of Donald Trump's tariffs. And meanwhile, again, what do Republicans do? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, with very, very few, a, a couple of critical voices. Um, yesterday, even uh, Paul Ryan did say, I don't like these tariffs. I don't want to hamstring the president's negotiating tactics, but I've long said I don't think tariffs are the right way to go. And uh, in the Senate, Senate uh, Senator uh, Arne Hatch, uh, representing a lot of farmers who've been uh, hurt uh, but, but, this, but, but, you know, the one thing that gets to me is, like, soybeans is one of the big products. The, the, the Chinese have an insatiable appetite for soybeans, and something like 60-70% of America's soybean crops are sold in China. So yeah, these are American that. farmers yep. that are not selling as much because the Chinese are not buying as much because the prices have, have gone up. So these farmers are really, really hurting. Uh, Aaron Hatch represents a lot of them. He, uh, he he said yesterday how disappointed he is on in Donald Trump on this issue. I'm not a great believer in tariffs, either way. And uh, I'm a little disappointed the president goes in that route. And the Senate uh, yesterday, so what are they going to do about it? Uh, what the Senate did yesterday is they passed a nine non-binding resolution uh, saying that um, basically— we don't like tariffs. Uh, the vote was 88 to 11, pretty lopsided. But you got to understand what's disappointing about that is that this non-binding resolution was passed instead of the binding legislation that Republican Senator Bob Corker had introduced, which would limit the president's ability unilaterally to enact these tariffs, which now the president does have the authority and Donald Trump is using it. But again, here, here are these Republicans who have always been the free trade party, have always said tariffs are wrong, and, Repo- and now here's a Republican president who is slapping tariff after tariff after tariff on Canada, Mexico, Western Europe, and particularly on China, who has started this trade war, and the Republican Congress, once again, just roll over and let it happen. No backbone whatsoever. So instead, again, of a, of a bill that would do something about it, they pass a non-binding resolution, which, of course, anybody would ignore because it doesn't it mean It doesn't anything. do anything. It's, no. not, it's not even a slap on the wrist. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And the battle for um, is shaping up, for, and, and particularly Democrats looking for what they think will be the best issues uh, for taking on Brett Kavanaugh, the president's nominee, to be the next member of the Supreme Court. Uh, the vice president was out yesterday uh, singing Brett Kavanaugh's praises as a man with outstanding credentials. He is, as the president said, a man of impeccable credentials, unsurpassed qualifications, and a proven commitment to uphold the Constitution of the United States as written. 
All right, there we go. Blah blah blah. Um, three item, uh, three areas. Uh, it looks like where uh, Brett Kavanaugh may be the most vulnerable. One is, as we've talked about, the issue of Roe v. Wade, which is which is much broader than just abortion, and which has, of course, since 1973, been the law of the land. It's a precedent set by the Supreme Court. It's been upheld by the Supreme Court. It really is a whole question of women's health and women's ability to make decisions regarding their own bodies and their own persons, their own lifestyle, their own life. Um, uh, And on that issue, while Kavanaugh has not openly said, I will do anything I can to oppose Roe v. Wade, there's every indication that he, like Neil Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas and John Roberts and Samuel Lito, would definitely, once a case comes up to the court, vote to uh, overturn Roe v. Wade. Number one, he's a Catholic, so one would assume that he's anti-abortion. Number two, he recently ruled, was a strong dissenting voice, uh, just last year in in a case in front of the D.C. District Court uh, uh, on whether or not a 17-year-old immigrant who came here illegally uh, detained at the border who was pregnant and wanted to get an abortion should be allowed to get one. Uh, the court said yes. Kavanaugh issued a strong dissent saying no. That's the one case out of 300 and some opinions where he even gets close to a, uh, to speaking out or in indicating how he might stand on Roe v. Wade. But the third reason we know how he would rule again is, as we said before, He was on that short list of 25 judges that the Federalist Society handed Donald Trump. He would not be on that list, would not have made that list unless he had told the people at the Federalist Society, yes, you can count on me. I am a vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's one issue. The second issue is the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Those got those. they, They couldn't gut it in the Congress. So now they're counting on the court to do it. There, it, it, it barely, barely survived in the in the Supreme Court before. There will be another challenge to the Affordable Care Act, and Judge Kavanaugh has already ruled in one in one case where uh, he believes that um, he's ruled that uh, employers should not have to provide coverage for contraception as part of the health health care policies that they that they offer uh, their employees. Uh, he, he's a, a classic voice, has been in several opinions about uh, federal agencies going too far, the federal government going too far. Uh, clearly, he's indicated he would be a vote to gut the Affordable Care Act, whatever is left of it. But then there's one other line, which is that in two law review articles, uh, Brett Kavanaugh has written that he believes the president of the United States is unique and alone, basically is above the law, and should not have to be pestered or bothered or with or distracted by any lawsuit or any investigation or, God forbid, any subpoena issued by any special counsel. That issue may be before the Supreme Court as early as this fall if Robert Mueller um, subpoenas Donald Trump to appear before him. And uh, Kavanaugh has already ruled that Donald Trump would not have to answer that subpoena. Maybe, in fact, maybe that's the number one reason that Donald Trump put him on the court, because that's what he needs. That's what he wants. That's what he's counting on. 
So for that reason alone. Now, there's one other thing that I got to mention that I was doing some research on this yesterday. I don't think this is a reason for voting. I wouldn't say it's a reason for voting against Kavanaugh. I just think it's worth pointing out that Brett Kavanaugh is yet, I think, the last thing the court needs in this sense. He is yet one more white male on the court. So think about it. Were he on the court, right, you would have three women, one African-American, and five white males. Or on this court, in this nation, you would have just two people of color, Sonia Sotomayor and Clarence Thomas. So, you know, the court, not that there's not some good white men around, right, but the court clearly for decades with him on it would not reflect the demographics of the American people or the people that not the court— Not even close. No, that the people are there to serve. And, you know, there is something about— public confidence in institutions, particularly public trust and confidence in the courts. And um, that undermines, I think, public confidence in the court to have a court that doesn't look like the rest of the country. Absolutely. It's a problem that plagues, I think, every level of government. But this is just one more thing with this lifetime appointment. Yep. Right. And by the way, that same argument was made uh, when the whole issue of whether or not to have diversity among fire departments and police departments, and elected officials. Yes. And, and yes, it should apply to the court. And other presidents have tried, particularly Barack Obama, uh, succeeded overwhelmingly more than any other president in the diversity of his appointments. Donald Trump doesn't give a damn, does not give a rat's ass about it. If you can believe it, take a look at his appointments, which I did yesterday. So far, uh, in... As of November 19, uh, 2017, November last year, he had nominated 59 people to the federal bench. 59. Out of 15, those 59, 81% of them were male. 91% were white. That's, that's his pattern. So what he's really looking for are political puppets People of extreme right-wing ideology, it doesn't matter whether they're male or female or white, as long as they're extreme. But it's, And so the predominance of, of white males doesn't mean anything to him. He's not looking beyond that. And anyone who Pretty thought that it would be, it's terrifying, especially as a woman who is of Asian descent. I mean, it's really terrifying because anyone who thought that he had respect for women after um, the Access Hollywood tapes came out, anything like that, of course they didn't. So when you heard all of these voices on CNN and stuff kind of brushing off these misogynistic comments by the president, this is what it comes to, is lifelong appointments that will have real and dire effects on the lives of everyday people. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we were skipping perhaps the biggest story of all. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, she left Washington, D.C. and went to Columbus, Ohio. Oh, poor Stormy. And Stormy was arrested last night. Uh, yep, she was arrested. This Michael Avenatti's got to work overtime now. Poor Stormy Demings was arrested at a strip club in Ohio for allegedly touching, not in any sexual way, but allegedly just touching a patron uh, in the strip club who came up to say hello or something. And then there's a law in Ohio that if you are nude or semi-nude in a strip club as a performer, you cannot touch any of the uh, patrons. So um, 
Free Stormy. There it is. Yeah, Free Stormy. <laughs> we'll raise it. We'll start a defense fund here. <laughs> to take care of our legal expenses. All right, when we come back, take a quick break. Addy Baird is going to join us uh, for uh, more of the news of the day. Addy Baird from Think Progress here on the Bill Press Show, Thursday, July 12. Good to have you with us. Quick break. We'll be right back. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Thursday, July 12. Uh, yep, and it will be France versus Croatia in the World Cup Finals. Big upset yesterday with, uh, not necessarily an upset, but a uh, big uh, Disappointing show for England, uh, losing 2-1 to one to, to Croatia. Croatia, one of the smallest nations on the planet ever to uh, make it to the finals of the World Cup. Yeah, that's Very exciting. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Addie Bear joins us here from Think Progress. Thank Hi, Addie. It's nice to see you. It's good to uh, be here. And we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always. And our studio on Capitol Hill brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, a great iron workers union. Under the leadership of President Eric Dean, they are building our communities today and poised and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow if the Congress and the President ever get their act together and do something about uh, infrastructure. They've been talking about it for at least a couple of years and done absolutely nothing. You never hear the That's word. That's how it goes. You never hear the word anymore, do you? I mean, you I mean, you always hear about Infrastructure Week when something, when something oh. crazy is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> The White House is always saying, oh, this is Infrastructure Week. This is Infrastructure Week. week. <laughs> and that's when you know it's about to go off the rails. <laughs> I know. At least three times they've done that. Officially announced this it was, is Infrastructure Week. It was like Infrastructure week. week was like the Comey testimony. Infrastructure Week was like there's been like a couple other like insane weeks that they've been like, this is Infrastructure Week. That's our focus. <laughs> uh, and a little bit of breaking news. Uh, President Macron, uh, Donald Trump uh, left the uh, NATO summit saying that everybody had agreed with him that they were going to raise uh, the percentage of defense spending from 2%, which they agreed upon uh, going to 2024, uh, up to 4%. First of all, the uh, you know, the general secretary of NATO yesterday kind of tried to throw cold water on that yesterday, uh, Jens uh, Stoltenberg, when he said, look, We've agreed. He was asked, "What do you think about this two percent?" And his response was basically, "Or four percent." We've agreed to two percent. Let's start there. Well, I will focus on the, what we have agreed, and we have agreed to uh, be committed to the uh, uh, pledge uh, increasing defense spending to two percent. And uh, let's start with that. Yeah, let's start with that, which kind of makes sense. When they all get to two percent, they can talk about more. But Donald Trump said they agreed with him that they were going to up it to four percent. Here's the breaking news. President Macron of France today said, uh, no, we didn't. Okay. <laughs> no, Donald Trump is not right. Oh, imagine that. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> you mean Donald Trump said something that wasn't 100% true? You mean right. Donald Trump said something that wasn't 100% true and also managed to throw an international organization into chaos? Uh, no. <laughs> I can't imagine. Not our president, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, man. But, uh, uh, but, but at least Macron was willing to say, 
No, he didn't. I mean, unlike right. these Republicans right. in Congress, who I to say, well, you have to put it in context, and Whatever. you know, I hate to disagree, but you, right. you but but I, I don't want to be critical of the president. Blah 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 blah. blah at any rate, um, th- so let's start with uh, gosh, so much to talk about. <laughs> uh, we talked a little bit in the last hour, and you've been writing about this, um, the. Supreme Court nominee, yeah. Brett Kavanaugh. So yeah. the White House put out, uh, they were they, they couldn't wait to show how much oh, so broad excited. support he has in Congress. And they actually put out a, rolled out a thing to the, to the, the, to the, to the media um, showing quotes from 34 members saying great things about Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, it's so All funny. All of them white men. All of them are white men. There are no women. There are there's there's no people of color. There's yeah. And look, this is silly. This is the sort of thing that you're like, of course, this is the kind of statement that the Trump administration sends out. But at the same time, it's just like this clearly shows the people who this nominee is going to help. The people who are excited about him are wealthy white men. You know. Those are the people who want to throw their support behind him, and I think that that's kind of scary. Well, also, I would find it—I find it insulting as a male. I would find it really insulting as a female that their argument seems to be, you don't have to worry about him uh, with Roe v. Wade because his wife is a woman, and he has two daughters— uh, yeah, and his mother was a woman. So, the anti-abortion movement is led by women. It's like this is not this is not a and knowing women or even being a woman doesn't make you a pro-choice hero. It's insulting. It's no, ridiculous. I, no, I find it. And but they're actually using that argument. Right. And if you look, <clears throat> he's hired um, a lot. A lot of his clerks. You know, are women maybe the most of his clerks are women? So he surrounded himself with women. Therefore, you can trust him on Roe v. Wade. You can't trust him on Roe v. Wade. If you look any further than that, you see that this is a man who dissented from the majority decision on the D.C. Circuit that said the government cannot hold in prison undocumented teenagers in need of an abortion and he's he dissented from that uh decision and he just, believes just last year just last year he right. believes the government should be able to hold children in prisons when those teenagers need and want an abortion if you if that doesn't raise so many red flags for you about what this man believes the right to an abortion means then I don't know what to tell you. Right. If you look any further than the basic, like, oh, he has daughters. Oh, he has a wife. His law clerks were women. If you look any further than that, which, A, essentializes gender, B, assumes that uh, if that was how this worked, (laughs) this would never be a problem. (laughs) Everyone knows a woman. (laughs) So it's it's just ridiculous. It is. It's just, it, it is absurd. And so why do um, – why are suddenly, particularly um, Susan Collins, saying such nice things about Brett Kavanaugh? I mean, she's the one – everybody said last week we were all talking about her because mm-hmm. she said, I'll never vote for anybody who's not going to respect precedent. Mm-hmm. This woman who, <clears throat> by the way, voted for Neil Gorsuch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how much do we trust her? But what does she see? 
I don't know what she sees. But you've taken a look at. I have taken a look at her record on um, abortion, and you know, I went way back and I found some really interesting stuff. She has, um, in in recent years, talked less about it, but I found a, a quote from of hers from I think it was two thousand two. Um, at a convention where she basically said it's, you know, uh, the Republican Party's failing is not being the party of choice. Um, and just a couple years later, she voted for Sam Alito. And, uh, you know, she did the exact same thing at that time where Alito, she said she wouldn't, uh, she was going to talk to Alito about whether he would respect precedent. She said, obviously, I'm talking about Roe v. Wade here. She talks to Alito. Uh, it comes out during this process that Alito, um, as a government lawyer, uh, did a lot of work writing about how Roe v. Wade should not stand in the United States. Um, and she apparently got enough from him that he was going to, quote unquote, respect precedent, um, that she voted in favor of him, as did Lisa Murkowski. Uh, of course, uh Alito's record on abortion issues since he took his seat on the high court has not been anything of uh, no. You know, and why should why should anybody be surprised? Right, and so listen, she she keeps playing this game. She played it with Alito. She, she played, played it with, with Alito. Gorsuch. Yep, she played, and she's playing it now. And the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, uh, she's going to vote for him. Susan I, Collins yeah, gets absolutely Susan right. Susan Collins is not your feminist hero, and um, you know I think that. Too often, because she doesn't believe we ought to, de- to defund Planned Parenthood, which is a low, low bar, <laughs> um, and because she uh, helped to save the ACA a number of times, I think that people um, left of center tend to think of her as this hero and as their ally, and she's not. <laughs> she's just not. And I think it is, uh, you know, it's cynical um, for her to play this this game, right? Um, we mentioned earlier too, and back to the sort of the male centric, if you yeah. will, approach uh, of the defense of, of Kavanaugh. That this is really uh, a pattern with uh, Donald Trump's total disregard for diversity. I mean, right. uh, 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 I checked as uh, this is Associated Press as of November 2017. This last November. He had nominated 59 people yeah. to the bench, yeah. uh, to federal bench, 81% of them male, 91% of them white. That sounds right. And, I mean, look, there, of course there are— So we're going to have—I just think we're going to have a—if a, a, if he's on the court, right, we're going right. to have a Supreme Court for decades that is not only politically far to the right of where the American people are, but does in, in no way reflects what the American people exactly. look like. Exactly. You know, and it's interesting, too. I I was watching The Bachelorette on Monday night and ABC <laughs> cut in to uh, to oh, uh, oh, for, the, yeah. for the press conference. And my roommate walked in and went, oh, he's really young. And I was like, yeah, I think that's the point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's he's he's young and um, he's going to sit on the court for decades. Uh, and this court is. I definitely, it doesn't reflect the demographics of the American people. And like Ray said, this is unfortunately true across every branch of our government. 
um, you know, Congress is uh, 20% women, which is not how, yeah, uh, right. you know, that's not the, they're obviously not the whiter population of the world. It's white, it's much whiter than the population. Um, it's much more male, it's much older. <laughs> um, you know, our government doesn't, the demographics of our government don't reflect the demographics that they're supposed to represent. So f- from what you see, and it's just been a couple of days, uh, what seem to be the um, avenues of um, that the, the, that or arguments that the Democrats most are most likely to use against Kavanaugh? It's been interesting. A lot of people have, you know, a lot of Democrats have come out against him already, uh, hitting a lot of the things that that we've hit. Um, mm-hmm. That he is basically <laughs> a right wing ideologue. He's not. He does not actually have a respect for precedent. Um, he does not have a, a respect for, uh, you know, uh, the the limited interpretation of the Constitution. Um, he has used his the the argument that most Democrats use that I think is is basically correct. Um, he has used his time on the federal bench to basically push an agenda, uh, an anti-abortion agenda, an anti-environment agenda. Um, and that is really the thing that most Democrats are leaning into, that he is uh, not an appropriate person to have on the Supreme Court because he basically is, is just a right-wing ideologue. And the one that I find, uh, those, so it, it, Roe v. Wade for sure, um, um, generally women's health issues, if you will, the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. uh, where he's already ruled uh, that, uh, that um, people who have a religious belief against contraception right, right. don't have to provide that as part of that the, the famous Hobby Lobby case. And the other one is this, yeah, this one limits on president or the, his views yes. about presidential power. Yes. I find that one most intriguing because yes. there are two law review articles, one in 1998, another in 2009, where he suggests that the president should be shielded from any lawsuits or criminal investigations. That basically he's saying... He said in those articles that the president is above the law. Right. That, oh, this pesky lawsuit. Oh, gosh. Right. Which is music to Donald Trump's ears, of course. Right. Right. And not to get too tinfoil hatty, but it's the people around Trump who were involved with him during the campaign uh, who reportedly really, really loved this dude. <laughs> um, and oh, yeah. as. Uh, you know, as as the I guess the argument Trump would make if he's asked about this is like there's a witch hunt. Everyone wants to prosecute me. You know, it's fake, and so someone ought to protect me. I don't know. It's it's of course, of course, that's who he chose. <laughs> what yeah, else do you expect? No. Oh yeah, I think you went through that list of twenty five, right? Yes. Okay. Who's going to be Who's going to protect me from Mueller? Right, and I mean honestly, that's sort of an interesting way of thinking about it because that list of twenty five, uh, you know, they're all people. All twenty five of them would be the deciding vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. All 25 of them would, uh, you know, mm-hmm. be a very right-leaning vote on the Supreme Court. And not all of them might have said, uh, I don't. I think the president's above the law. Right. So, uh, if, if, he, if, if they don't push him and he wouldn't agree to at least recuse himself if any of those cases come up. But of course... That I mean, doesn't mean that he would. But that the, doesn't mean that he would at all, because that's the thing is that that means that Alito ought to recuse himself from uh, Alito ought to recuse himself from any abortion cases based yeah. on his writings in, in right. the past. And, you know, that's just not how they that's no, just not how no. they work. So uh, Addie Bears with us from Think Progress, Think Progress dot org, of course. 
Um, yesterday, Paul Ryan uh, joined Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise in expressing his support for Congressman James Jordan. Uh, Jim Jordan, a little bit of hot water, as we know, um, because of allegations that as a assistant wrestling coach mm-hmm. out at Ohio State, when uh, some of his um, members of his team came and with the complaints about a sexual abuse on the part of their team doctor that Jim Jordan didn't do anything about it. Paul Ryan yesterday saying he's a man of honesty and integrity, and I know that if anybody had ever told him anything, he would have done something uh, about it. What's up? I mean, the way that I've started to think about this a little bit is the people who are defending Jim Jordan are people who were not there. Uh, the people who are exactly. saying don't that know, Jim Jordan don't know what they're talking they about. don't know what they're talking about when when you know Paul Ryan defends Jim Jordan he's saying oh he's a man of honor he's a in my experience okay uh, in yeah. the experience of these wrestlers um, that's not how this happened and it's funny he's had uh, wrestlers from other schools defend him. He's had Donald Trump defend him. He's had, and there are now seven wrestlers um, who it might be more. Last I checked, there were seven wrestlers who would come forward and said uh, Jim Jordan knew about this abuse. Um, yeah, and and it's my understanding uh, that five of them say everybody knew, so he must have known. But two of them say, no, I actually talked to him personally yes. about what was going on. There's a on. couple of them who said that they spoke to Jim Jordan directly uh, about uh, abuse that uh, they experienced. And the five of the, 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 you know, the ones who say they didn't speak to him directly, it's not even that like everyone knew. So he had to have known. Uh, it's basically just that he's, uh, you know, they're saying he was there while we were having conversations. Yeah. He was in the locker room while we were talking about this. We know he heard us. Um, and, uh, you know, that's it's not even them saying like, oh, he must have known. He was there. And, and the other practice, a part of this was, I mean, this is the inappropriate touching on the part and groping on the part of the doctor, but that that this guy used to hang out in those showers. He wasn't taking a shower, but he was just hanging out, leering at these kids taking showers. Right. And nobody did anything about it. Right. I mean, just disgusting. Let's be clear. Like, the why thing wouldn't in Jordan question... or why wouldn't the coach say, hey, wait a minute, you don't belong in here? Right? Apparently, I, I believe the head coach had one conversation with him one time that was like, hey, you're making the kids uncomfortable. Um, but it is, I mean, I think one of the things that we haven't focused on enough here is the actual details of this abuse are really, really disturbing and really, really upsetting. Uh, Strauss uh, committed suicide a few years mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. Um, but Ohio State has opened an official investigation into his conduct at the university. And one of the wrestlers... Um, has basically estimated that this doctor abused uh, student athletes across 15 different sports and Mm. that during Mm. his time at Ohio State, which spanned decades, um, he believes that he uh, has abused um, more than 1,500 kids. Good Lord. It is so disturbing. And I feel like it is, you know, obviously Jim Jordan is a rising star in the Republican Party, and we ought to focus on what he did and did not know and what he did and did not do. But the actual details of this should not go under the radar. They are very, very, very disturbing. So it looks like Jim Jordan won't be the next speaker. (laughs) 
I mean... Is that sort of like a safe bet? Here's the thing. No, it's not. It's not a safe bet. Not this is this like... Cr- not, right, with not with this crowd. This crowd. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't, you know, it doesn't... <coughs> because the people who are defending him are the people who could make him the next speaker. And... The, uh, this is like when we all woke up after the Access Hollywood tape and, you know, Hillary Clinton was definitely the next president of the United States. I, you know, you can't write any of that off. Uh, so meanwhile, um, the White House announcing yesterday that um, we uh, are not satisfied with $34 billion in tariffs against China since they responded by putting some tariffs on American products. We're going to up the ante and put uh, tariffs now on uh, 10 to 20 percent tariffs on uh, $200 billion more of products that uh, are sold in China, which include, I mentioned this earlier, uh, just watching the news last night, I wrote down some kitchen utensils, kitchen appliances, seafood, shampoo, soap, furniture, towels, designer goods. All of this is stuff that Americans buy. When are they going to wake up and saying, wait a minute? I'm paying a lot more for this stuff now because of Donald Trump. You know, I don't I don't know. It's one of those questions that is is I buy all those things all the time. I ne- yeah. I need shampoo. I love seafood, <laughs> you know. Um, but I'm not the person who uh who is out there uh rallying with the Vaga crowd um and and you know, you and I have talked about this a lot. I'm not sure that there, there's a subset of people in the United States who I don't think will ever, um, you know, shampoo being more expensive, seafood being more expensive. It's not going to change their minds. And and this crowd uh, just down the street here from us in the, in, in the Congress who would be, I mean, they the, the impeachment hearings would have started a long time ago if any Democrat. Oh, you have to imagine had 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 suggested, even suggested tariffs. They may be screaming bloody murder about, no, this is unfair to American consumers. This means small businesses are going to go under. I mean, right. you could you could write their script for them, right? And yet here's a Republican who is going contradictory to everything they have ever stood for or said they stand for, and they're doing absolutely nothing about it. The thing I keep thinking of, uh, Mitt Romney put out a statement um, about this, that the first line was just, I'm not a fan of trade wars. <laughs> I just keep thinking about it. It cracked me up because it is the epitome of Mitt Romney, who's like, you know, if this was a Democrat, if this was a Democrat, he would be just fire and brimstone. And with this well, being Trump, he's like, well, I'm not a way, fan. On, on, on a similar uh, 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 tone, it was Paul Ryan uh, yesterday, uh, who just, this is as critical as you could ever get him to be about Donald Trump. I don't want to hamstring the president's negotiating oh, tactics, no, but God I've forbid. long said I don't think tariffs are the right way to go. Oh, poor baby. Poor Paul. <laughs> I just keep thinking that it's very funny that anyone thought that he was going to actually start criticizing the president, uh, you know, now that he's retiring. Um, this is as close as we're going to get. <laughs> Well, yeah, I know that's about that. That is as critical as I've ever heard. Yeah, him. exactly. This uh, is that's it, and yeah. that's not very critical. Yeah, leadership backbone <laughs> uh, <clears throat> doesn't exist with him. Uh, so, on a totally unrelated uh, story, I don't know whether you've caught up with. I just got to get this in somehow. Paul Manafort was complaining about. We were told 
little while ago that he was being kept in solitary confinement 23 hours a day, right? And poor Paul Manafort was supposed to f- fill Doesn't sorrow. Doesn't he, like, have a laptop and everything? It just came out <laughs> yesterday. But actually, uh, he was down somewhere in a couple of hours outside of town, some town I never heard of in Virginia. Northern Neck Regional Jail, right? He had a private bedroom, a workroom, a private bath, private shower, a cell phone, laptop. I, too, am at solitary confinement when I'm uh, home alone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he, but, and he didn't have to wear a prison jumpsuit. He could wear his own clothes. And he's on the phone all the time with his attorneys. And he access to all the documents that he wanted to see. It's basically he's living in a country club. Right? I mean, I I've been rewatching Arrested Development. It's like when uh, it's like when the matriarch of the family goes to jail, jail, and she oh. just like wears tennis clothes all the time, <laughs> yeah. like, and, like plays plays games with her friends. And he complained and... about it so much that a judge said, "Okay, we're going to transfer you to a, a prison in Alexandria, Virginia." So you can be closer to your attorneys. And now Manafort is saying, no, I want to stay down stay here. here. I want to stay in the country club. Ridiculous. I don't know if I should laugh or cry, Bill. Oh, uh, well, you got to laugh because both. we'd be you crying, gotta laugh. We'd be crying <laughs> too much. Oh, yeah. Addie Baird, it's great to see you. It's great to From be here. From thinkprogress.org. And Joel Payne joins us next as a friend of Bill. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The World Cup, it's been decided it is France versus, at least the finals, France versus Croatia. Croatia knocking England out two to one. Wow, what a great tournament it has been. Hello, vive la France. Hello, go France. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is Thursday, July 12. Great to see you today. The Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day. Uh, Whatever's going on, uh, we'll bring you up to date. Uh, The latest from uh, Brussels. Yes, it was as big a uh, uh, kind of a transatlantic brawl as we expected. Uh, The president now on to London, where the uh, Trump baby blimp is (laughs) awaiting him, flying in the skies over London and some 50,000 protesters. And meanwhile, back here at home, Democrats lining up and uh, marshalling their arguments against the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, lots to talk about. Joel Payne is here, our good friend, Democratic strategist, to help us through the uh, news of the day as a friend of Bill. Hello, Joel. Bill, good to be with it's you always again. good to see you. Everything yes. good? Thanks. Staying Thanks cool. Me. Staying cool this trying summer? Trying to stay cool. I'm trying to not get into too many fights. I've... Uh 
I've been uh, in and out of a couple of battles here the last couple. Oh, of that's weeks. what I understand. I want to hear what hear all about it. But listen, there got to be more of us taking these guys on, Joel. So yeah, absolutely. You and me, we got our we have our work cut out for us. Uh, and you've got your work cut out for you too, which is uh, don't forget not just to uh, follow uh, the news of the day as we talk about it, uh, but send us your comments on Twitter on Twitter at BP Show. Um, Peter Ogburn's got the week off. Ray Rogers, uh, she's reporting running, for duty. Hello. She's running the show uh, <laughs> these these days, doing a damn good job of it. Ray. Uh, we have some comments so far. We do. We comments about. pouring yeah. in um, both on Twitter and in YouTube. We'll begin in the YouTube chat room where Blair says, oh, this is in response, of course, to um, your last bit about the number of white men that Trump has appointed to the benches across the states. Oh, come on. It's only 91 percent. I know. Men, only. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Blair has some thoughts. Isn't that sort of what the population of the Listen, United States they were, is? They were yeah, it's a comeback. perfect reflection of the <laughs> mirror. <Yeah. laughs> I, I've said before, make America great again. It really stands for make America white again. It's so you true. You said it, not me. Yep. Uh-huh. All right. So Blair <laughs> it says. It should be Mawa. <laughs> I mean, this is what they've been trying to do this whole time. Have white men in charge of the country for another 100 years. I don't know why anyone thought otherwise. These same white men were white young men during the civil rights. So they've been waiting since then to get back what they think is theirs, which is to say that their skin color is better than yours. Whoa. Pretty powerful yeah. statement. Powerful yeah, right. words from Blair there Blair, in our YouTube strong. chat room. And then we also have some people weighing in on Twitter at BP Show. We have Fight Fire with Fire saying, does Russia have a dossier on each member of the GOP Congress? The fact that the GOP is blindly following Trump suggests that they are being blackmailed or they must have something on them. I don't know. What do you think? Let us know at BP Show. We know Putin has something on Trump. It's called the P-tape. The PP tapes Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, thank, thank, thank you, Ray. And um, um, also in these uh, off-the-wall stories of the day, I don't, Joel, I don't know whether you saw this, but Sarah Palin is complaining uh, that she was ambushed by <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen, right? Uh, I, I did see that. I mean, how many people can Borat, right? She calls him evil, evil and sick. How many people has he tricked so far, and why would anybody Bill, you know, accept You, you know what to, this is all about. Sarah Palin is jealous because Donald Trump has stolen all of her shine. <laughs> For, forever, she was the... Uh, the every person, uh, you know, I I, uh, I shine a light on yeah. not being intelligent enough to, to, to be in this field. And now Donald Trump's <laughs> stolen it right from under her. She had it. She had the belt, and he took it right from her. So she's just trying to get back in the headlines. I think what it is, but I got to say, he did get Dick Cheney to sit for an interview. I can't wait to see this latest movie. It's going to be a great one. video bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show yep donald trump leaving brussels saying that nato is much stronger today than it was two days ago before he got there oh don't break your arm uh, patting yourself on the back mr president hello everybody what do you say thursday thursday july 12 uh, 
Good to see you today. Thanks for being with us here on the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and joining, uh, joining you coast to coast everywhere in this great land of ours online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On the radio, the great WCPT out in the Chicago area and on uh, Free Speech TV nationwide as well. Here in studio with us, Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, joining us uh, for this whole hour as a friend of Bill with lots to talk about both what's happening in Europe, what's happening here at home. Hello, Joel. It's good to see you. Good to be with you again. You've been out there stirring it up, oh, um, boy. Yeah. battling, fighting the good fight. You got into it with Sebastian. Uh, on We were on WJLA here on local uh, DC TV, and we were talking about immigration. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, so our friend Sebastian Gorka, right? I know, I know he's a he's a favorite. I'm oh, sure. Yeah, I'm sure right. your listeners love that guy. Um, former Trump advisor who was uh, unceremoniously kicked out of the White House was talking about you know was defending a, defending the immigration policy. I was going to say he's probably really critical of Donald Trump, saying Donald Trump's doing all the wrong things by separating families. Well, right? listen, it was supposed to be a more, and we did the people on the panel. There were Democrats and Republicans. We were having a collegial discussion back and forth, disagreeing without being disagreeable. They bring Gorka on. And uh, Gorka just comes on and just starts throwing grenades into the debate and just not really making a lot of sense and defending the policy uh, of, of separating families at the border. And, by the way, trying to claim that the president is the most compassionate guy in the world and whatnot. And I called BS on it and I told him to his face. We got a little well, bit of a... Through a studio, but yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. We're, we're working on it. Yeah. Uh, because I think we can uh, pull up the uh, the audio of that. But just, just remind... Uh, 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 I think isn't Gorka now? He's the big voice for Sinclair Broadcasting. Right? I, supp I suppose he is. Yeah, this is a WJLA is a Sinclair. Uh, right, it's a Sinclair I mean, property, so that makes sense. Remember all the flap about the uh, uh, forget what the phrase was. The content that they Sinclair stations. Well, they've got Boris Epstein over there too. Who's, who's that, the, that's right? Who's yeah. the other Trumper? Right. That, so they, you know. This, this was remember they had all the uh, local anchors that were that were right. reading off the that same had, script and whatnot. That, that's what that yeah. referred Which to, to be fair, the, yeah. the folks on WJLA were great and and the discussion was good up until Sebastian, Mr. Gorka came and joined. And again, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and allow him to throw a fastball by me and uh, you know act as if he's well, he's telling the truth. We'll catch catch up with that, Ray. Just uh, signal when you've. Uh Got that. Yeah, the ready. video, for some reason, isn't oh. loading. I'm sorry, Joel. Oh, shucks. I know. Uh, okay. All right. Well, well, thanks for fighting a good fight there. Yeah. But but um, it, it's not like the Trump administration has backed away from this policy, right? Yeah. I mean, a, a judge, for temp temporarily, a judge has said, this: you've got to abide by the previous court decision. This is my understanding of it, that you cannot keep these kids for more than 20 days. But the administration... They're so inept, they haven't been able to reunite all these families. So let's follow yet. this logic trail. Yes. Remember the right. president told us that this was a law. It's not. That's right. nonsense. Correct. He told us that— A law passed by Democrats. A law passed by Democrats, which is amazing. I don't know how that could have been. But a law who, who haven't been in power in four years, right, um, and that he had no control over this, and that at the same time he said, but we can change it if Democrats build me a wall. Okay, so that was one plank of it. And then when he realized he was looking uh, like probably the most heartless person we've ever had sit in the White House, he all of a sudden decided, I can sign an executive order to correct this. 
So he could have done that the entire time. Having, Jeff Sessions having telegraphed this. Time, Jeff Sessions telegraphed this. Mm-hmm. Telegraphed this back in April. And Stephen Miller and folks like that on the record talking about this was a strategy. The strategy was let's make such a terrible, heinous policy that people will be afraid to illegally cross the border. And the point that I've made last night, talking to Mr. Gorka, talking to others about this is there has to if you cannot figure out a way to balance the rule of law and humanity, you should not be the president. Mm-hmm. There's a way to do it. Yeah, we got, you got it. that now, Ray. Okay. Came from, and irrespective of whether they voted for him, that's who Donald Trump is. Sebastian, you you want to talk to me about compassion? Talk to me about this. When this president decides to prioritize putting these children back with their families, you can talk to me about compassion. Until then, I don't want to well, hear anything about well, it about Donald you don't, Trump. You don't get because to tell the proof's me what in the I pudding. Get to say in America. I know you have. I, I did not. I did no such thing. I, can, I believe the people here on the panel can, I, I can, can verify that. I didn't, I didn't do such thing. And you don't get to shut me down if Jonathan wants to. I did no such his, thing. If that's his. But I think you're proving my point that I made a little bit earlier. So explain this to me. When the president wants to actually give give status to double the number of DACA recipients that was originally planned. And he the had Democrats a bill in front of him, refused. Sebastian. The he Democrats could have signed it. Refused. You, were you in his that? ear at telling him to sign Why it? Why did they do that? Because he had an opportunity to sign it. Why did the By the way, not, it? not a Democratic bill, not a liberal Why bill. Did the he Democrats had a bill that he said he would sign. You have no show answer, me. Right? You have no show answer. me. The president should double go visit Missouri. He should show me. <laughs> One show me that this president cares about this. And, and, he and doesn't. Have no this is a political All right. issue for All right. Him. All right. I like your style. All I, right. Listen, yeah. I took uh, I took 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 my cues from you, Bill. <laughs> Just trying to trying to trying to give him give him uh, give him hell. This BS that the guy is coming up with. I listen, mean, yeah. that's what we have to do. That's what this error calls for, right? And and look, we can disagree and uh, without being disagreeable when we, when we can. But when we're confronted with people who are shoveling nonsense in front of us i think it's our duty i think it's all of our duties to push back on that and to correct the record and um, i'm not going to have a conversation with someone like that and allow them to shovel nonsense in front of viewers and not correct the record yeah i mean it's just absolutely un i find unfathomable that they could uh enact and then support these inhumane policies at the border particularly right it's it is it is the american people are, are you know, that's not where the American people are. I didn't are. think he could go lower than Charlottesville. And, and and you could argue, I mean, this is the Hall of Shame, right? Like, what's worse, right. actually going and backing up white supremacists um, in Charlottesville like he did, or essentially saying that it is, it is uh, justifiable to separate children from their mothers and their fathers at the border, all in a, in a way to create this manufactured immigration crisis, by the way, because there's no crisis at the border. There isn't. Yeah. Bar- Barack Obama had border crossings at an all-time low. Actually was criticized for being too aggressive mm-hmm. on, oh, on yeah. stopping people at the border. Called the deporter-in-chief. Deporter-in-chief. So yeah. those are the facts. The facts don't fit into the narrative that this president is trying to craft. Um, now, l- let's talk a little politics here. Uh, about a week ago, uh, the chairman of the DNC was sitting right where you're sitting. And I asked him about the stunning victory of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez up in uh, in the Queens. Uh, and he really stirred up the right wing because I didn't find it that uh, controversial. But he said, quote, unquote, she's the future of the Democratic Party. Is she? I think 
she is to a certain part. Listen, the Democratic Party is a big tent party, Bill. You understand this. The, there's room in the Democratic Party for Joe Manchin and Alexandria Amen. Uh, Amen. Cortez. So, I mean, the, the, you have to have and, – and by the way, if you want to have a muscular party that is is representative of most of the country, it has to be like that. I worked in the Senate the last time we had 60 votes. I was there in 09, 010, and 11, right? When you have a 60-vote threshold in the Senate – that means you've got people like Joe Manchin. You've got people like uh, Ben Nelson in, in Nebraska. Remember that guy? Oh, yeah. You've, got, you've guy. got people like Joe Lieberman. You've got folks like that who are not necessarily uh, all the way to, to where the base of the party is. And you've also got people like this young lady in Queens. You've got people like Bernie Sanders. That's what a big tent party looks like. And Democrats, I think— have figured out how to do this in the past, and I think they'll figure out how to do it again. And for that district, certainly not yes. every district, she absolutely fits that district. And right? by the she's way, she's young, she's Latina, she's progressive. And 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 listen, I think that's where you're going to see a lot of the energy on the party. Right, mm-hmm. is in these primaries. Joe Crowley, who I don't think I don't think this should be seen as a a black mark on his record. He was a good representative for the absolutely. time that he was. Absolutely, but as with anything, look, there's time to move on. I've argued for a long time that I have a high regard for Nancy Pelosi, for Steny Hoyer, for folks like that, for, for Jim Clyburn. It's time for fresh leadership. That doesn't mean you're disrespecting the folks who've come before. That means you understand that there's time for new leadership, fresh blood. Uh, fresh voices, a different perspective. And I think the entire party could take the cue from that. But there is still this tension, if you will. It's almost a a constant replay of the 2016 primary. Sure. Between the Bernie people and the Hillary people. I mean, frankly, I think it's time, long past time to move on. Uh, To me, the best candidates, they can win that district with a big D after their name. Yeah, no, I agree. And you're and you're so right. Listen, we haven't gotten over it's gonna take some time to get over twenty sixteen. I think the Bernie Hillary piece is important. Um, I think the entire party could do that better, right? In terms of integrating the folks on the fringes who don't feel like the establishment of the party speaks for them. Okay. But I also think the folks on the fringes should understand that there are a lot of people who did vote for Hillary Clinton. And there are a lot of people there are a lot of people around the country who who did buy into um, her brand of politics, too. So there has to be respect on both sides. It's a two-way street. Those folks have to be um, understanding and accepting of the fact that not everybody is all the way here on all the key issues. And the folks over here have to understand that they've got to do more to reach out to those folks who feel disenfranchised by the party. Uh, she did. Let's remind ourselves. She did win. She did win by three million votes. She did just win by three side million side note. Votes. I <laughs> always like to throw that in. I know I'm a Hillary guy. I know I worked on her campaign, so it kind of feels self-serving. But, I mean, it's the facts, right? I mean, <laughs> now a, a lot of this came to play this week. This is sort of inside baseball, but it's important. With this decision by the rules committee on the part of the DNC uh, to um, to really make a major, major big big change in the role of super delegates. Yeah. Uh, and out of the commission that was formed at the convention a couple of years ago, uh, whatever that commission was called. They worked at it, and they came up with a proposal, which is adopted by the Rules Committee, now goes in front of the entire DNC, which says, correct me if I'm wrong, that superdelegates will still be there. They still get a seat at the convention, but on the first ballot, they don't get to vote. And this has it was passed by the Rules Committee. Chairman Perez is supporting it. Bernie Sanders loves it. 
But a lot of DNC members are already saying, no, you cannot. A lot of super delegates are saying, no, you cannot take our right to vote away. And as far as, far uh, as I understand it. What do you it, think about it and what's going to happen and how's it play? Listen, I think the party has to grow and evolve with the times. And by the way, as far as I understand it, this was a part of what Bernie wanted when when he brought his people into the into the fold yeah. um, after yeah. after right. he conceded to Hillary. Absolutely. Right? This was this was some of the institutional change that Senator Sanders was calling for. So I appreciate the fact that he used his leverage at that point to make this type of a change. And I think the party should embrace it. Um, everything is is evolving and turning to a place where it's more about um, putting power back in the hands of everyday people and away from the elite. That's what the country's doing, like it or not. That's what Donald Trump's presidency is all about, uh, in part. There's other stuff that's that's not so good about it, but a big part of it is the, the folks feeling like the elite are too much in control. Okay, so let's take our cue as well, and let's find ways to make it a bit more democratic, small d. Let's, let's find ways to make the process a little bit more democratic and a little bit more balanced so that folks who aren't from entrenched power within the party have an opportunity to have their voice heard. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's great. I, I think we, as a party, have to embrace this. What's interesting is, and I talked to Chairman Perez about it when he was here, is that this actually goes beyond what the Bernie people were first asking, oh, yeah. which was simply that superdelegates should have to follow the lead of the people of their state. So, for example, I remember Al Franken and some others were they they were Hillary people, and then Minnesota went for Bernie, and then they still said, "No, no, no, I'm going to vote for Hillary. I'm a super delegate. I can do whatever the hell I want." Right. But now we're really saying we're just going to take your vote away from you uh, on that on that first. It's ballot. putting it's putting more hand, power back in the hands of of the people. It's 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 taking it from up here and bringing it out here. Which, by the way, it's what we've done in this country. You know, this is the Democratic Party, but it's also what we've done in this country over time. Remember, the Senate used to not. I don't mean to give a civics lesson here, but, yeah, but it used to not be direct election. It used to be yeah, uh, right. be people in the state which would choose it. The we state, decided to cut that out and, and make it more of a direct election. I, I think we're mimicking that, and I think that's good. Um, the Pew Research uh, came out with an interesting poll yesterday. I don't know whether you saw. They they asked people who has done which president has done the best job during your lifetime. Uh, interesting results. Barack Obama, 44% said my lifetime Barack Obama was the best president. Bill Clinton comes in second, 33%. Ronald Reagan, third at 32%. George W. Bush doesn't make the list. Uh, interesting results. Those are interesting results. You know, so my lifetime, full disclosure here, I don't mean to make anybody feel bad, I was born in 1983. Oh, shut up. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel old, Bill. <laughs> um, You're so not. That here, here, are my, here are my presidents. Reagan, Bush 1, Clinton, W, um, Obama, and Trump. Okay. Out of that group, yeah, I mean, I would have to agree with that. I think um, President Obama has certainly um you know been the the standout there i i don't think we can lose sight though of the fact that bill clinton was a good president and and i know that we we're going back now and 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 i think there's a lot of look there are a lot of things that we've grown on as a country and we understand now um some of the the issues that happened around monica Lewinsky and whatnot those were things that now with the with hindsight being 2020 we, we'd probably do those over again in terms of how we treated that story how we dealt with it etc but when you look at what he accomplished as president, when you look at peace and prosperity, when you look at the fact that 
um, he ushered in pretty much a decade, a good mm-hmm. decade for this country. I don't think we want to lose sight of that as well. But Barack Obama, Affordable Care Act, Wall Street reform, Sotomayor, Kagan, um, there's there's a lot there to be proud of, and there's a lot there to lean on. And among millennials, Obama does a lot higher than 44. It's something like 65, 66 percent. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think Barack Obama, history is going to smile on the Obama presidency and the Obama years, especially after we get through with the next, uh, God help us, two and a half years. Would you admit that um, Brett, uh, the, the, the Democrats are going to have a tough time uh, blocking the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. They are. Um, look, the, the numbers a, are a, what they are. Is it a fight worth fighting? I think it's a fight worth fighting. And listen, I think if you're—the the party has to understand, again, we were having a conversation earlier about having a big tent party and making sure you've got room for voices who are more conservative along with those voices who are closest to the base of the party. We've got to cut some slack to— Mansion, Donnelly, Heitkamp. The only way those people get elected, okay, Doug Jones, the only way they get elected is if they somewhat mimic what their folks at home are telling them. And they are in heavy Trump states. So they cannot come out and just, you know, just uh, come out and just slap down the, the president's nominee out of hand. They have to engage in the process. They have to allow the process to play out. And I think what they're doing is they're waiting for Collins. They're waiting for Murkowski. They're waiting for Dean Heller. They're waiting for Jeff Flake. They're waiting to see if any of those Republicans who are on the fence are potentially going to defect. If any of those Republicans defect, I think you could see Democrats hold serve and potentially – I don't think you're going to see any of those red state Democrats be the deciding vote, right? If they know that their vote is going to be the deciding vote for this president's nominee here, Brett Kavanaugh, I think the, the caucus will hold – serve. I think if they see, hey, look, Republicans are going to stand strong here. There's no reason of me wasting a vote on Brett Kavanaugh um, when I'm going to get destroyed for it at home. I think you'll probably see them well, I, I wanna, uh, support I want to push nominee. back on that a little bit. Okay. Uh, okay. Can, you, can you give me any example where any senator has not has lost re-election because of a vote on the Supreme Court. I agree. Um, this I don't I, think, I, I, by the way, I'm, I, I don't mean you personally, yeah, no. I don't think anybody can. I think this is a myth that Joe Manchin, let's let's just take him for example. He's not my kind of Democrat, but he's I, I like him because he represents the people of West Virginia. Sure. I think he is perfect for West Virginia. Right, and he's the only and Democrat right now who can get elected to West Virginia. I, I, I like agree just, with that. Just making that and point. And he yeah. has delivered for West Virginia. And the idea that if with as governor he delivered, as senator he's delivered, the idea to me that suddenly he's going to lose all that support because of Brett Kavanaugh. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I I I agree with that in a vacuum. Okay, but look, we have to understand we're four months away from election day. This president is going to it, one, one thing again let's give president trump his due when he has his mind fixated on a message point he will drill it into the ground and if he has this as a as a a thing that he can pull out of his arsenal every time he goes to west virginia oh, to say joe manchin against uh my nominee with a president who's probably at 65 70 percent approval in that state I mean, th- those are tough headwinds for Joe Manchin to fight against. I agree right. with you in a vacuum. A Supreme Court nomination itself doesn't make the entire case and, for Joe Manchin's reelection, but it's an important piece. And by the way, Joe Manchin voted uh, against Donald Trump on the Affordable Care Act. 
and, and and so you mentioned the Affordable Care Act, and I think this is why it's it's smart for Democrats to focus their opposition around health care. Yeah. I think that's really smart, and that's all Manchin's been talking about. Because yeah. Yeah. guess what? I have a I have a hot take for you. Democrats have won the war on the Affordable Care Act. It's a winning issue for us now, right? Yeah, it's no longer an on the fence issue. That has been won. That is settled law. The Affordable Care Act's a winner, and you want to know why? Because we're using it to defend our ground against the Supreme Court nominee that we think could potentially threaten that. And I think that's a story in itself, that Democrats have the confidence to stand behind Obamacare and say, we're proud of this. This is signature legislation. This is something that the American people aren't going to stand for being taken away. Right. I see. That was going to be my response. You're saying Donald Trump will be driving his message home, too. Yeah, he, you know, uh, driving his message, you know he will. But that means the Democrats have to have the right message and drive that home. Why this is important and why it, it's, it's much more important than a, just a loyalty test to the president. Oh, the president wants this guy? Okay, well, he's the president. He gets a, anything he wants. I think Manchin and others can make it. No, for the people of my state, this guy would pose some real threats to some things that are important to us. You know, the danger here in... in and to women's health and down the list. The danger here in Kavanaugh is I think you can kind of get lulled into a false sense of, not security, but in a false kind of boredom <laughs> because, you know, look, I mean, he's your standard issue conservative jurist, right? But can standard issue conservative jurist is Neil Gorsuch, is Sam, Ali, Sam Alito, um, it's Clarence Thomas. It's people who are going to reliably vote against the interest of working people and in favor of corporations. They're going to reliably vote with this president. By the way, I don't think we should look past Anthony Kennedy's role here and the fact that the Obama administration, not the Obama, I'm sorry, the Trump administration has essentially been negotiating with him behind the scenes for for a year. Because remember, this is oh, his look, second by, law by the, clerk by the who's way, now on the court. Are you, if you're Gorsuch saying that, and Kavanaugh. If you're saying the fix is in, you are absolutely right. I mean, I've been I think saying that, that has from to day be looked one. at. And absolutely. I know NBC kind of pulled back on the report a little bit, but if you look at it, they really didn't. All they said was, is, well, there isn't, we can't make direct linkage between Kennedy stepping down. Oh, yes, you can. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you assume that if the president promised, hey, I'm going to get your guy on the court, who otherwise is pretty nondescript, <laughs> right? You're just going to pick oh, yeah. this guy. Oh, right? no. It just happens to pick two Kennedy yeah. law clerks yeah. Yeah. To, to, to replace Kennedy. Like, come on. Don't worry about it, Anthony, right? We've put one of your guys on already. You know, you got another one. We'll put him on, and you just get out of the way just so I can, you know, we can keep this. We can take this court and shape it as far to the right as we can for decades. And, but to me, this illustrates the Republicans overall, the Republican mm -hmm. Party, and Anthony Kennedy is part of it. They recognize They're the supremacy of the court. They are better at this than we are. They yeah, really are. Because, and as much as I love the notorious RBG, I mm -hmm. do, she should have been sometime in 2014 or 15 said, I'm going to step down, find the next young, um, brilliant uh, mind, independent and give, progressive mind and give Barack Obama that opportunity and give him that opportunity right that, that's what she probably and 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 yeah. unfortunately we are not set up that way and Breyer probably should have considered the same thing no. now I know the world seemed different at the time we thought Hillary Clinton was going to be president we made a lot of assumptions that uh, didn't turn out to be true but Democrats and Republicans are socialized to the court in a different way they treat it as a voting issue. The people who could not stomach Donald Trump 
one of the reasons on the Republican side why they ended up voting for that guy is because they said he's going to get to name two or three people to the court. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. He had his list of 25. Uh, it was a little uh, maybe 16 or 17 at the time. I forget now. But they added some names to it. Uh, and he, particularly we're talking, if we're talking about the evangelicals, he promised to them, I will nominate only from this list that you have given me. And everybody on that list was anti-Roe v. Wade, Prom- pledged to overturn Roe v. Wade. And he said, I'll stick to that list. And for them, that's all they needed to hear. They didn't care about Stormy Daniels or anybody else, right? And a lesson we the, should the learn from that access is Hollywood that's how tape, we have to care. play from now on. So that's how we have to play with the Supreme Court nominee in terms of, hey, yeah, it's nothing personal against Brett Kavanaugh, but Brett Kavanaugh threatens our values. He threatens what we've worked hard to build, right? So it's nothing personal against him, but the court is that important. It's that, pardon the pun, supreme. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's that's how the, 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 progressives have to treat it. There's one other factor here, which I've talked about a couple of times this morning. I hate to, I don't, to, to beat a dead horse, but um, I think it's very important, and that is, and this is not a reason for voting against Brett Kavanaugh, but it's a factor that he will be just what the court doesn't need, one more white male vote on the court. So um, think about the Supreme Court, were he to get there, right? Two people of color. Sonia Sotomayor and Clarence Thomas, three women, one African-American, and five white men. Does not reflect what this country, who this country is all about. And among Donald Trump's nominees, I checked earlier, 80 to the federal bench, 81% male, 91% white. And on that list of 25, and I checked this a couple days ago, there was one African-American gentleman from Alabama, I believe, um, there was the um, Indian American gentleman, uh, Judge the Poor, I believe his name is T U T H U P A R. Everybody else, white. Um, yeah, I think Amy Comey Barrett was on there, and maybe there were a handful of other women on there. And let's just take it away from the Supreme Court and let's talk about look at his people around him, his inner circle. Oh, yeah. His administration, right? Ben Carson. Uh, the only African-American. And Omarosa, uh, the only Omar, one in the White Omar, House. Omarosa's gone. 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 I never thought we'd be clinging to Omarosa as the <laughs> as the diversity uh, monitor in the White House. But but we miss those days, don't we? And she said she'd never <laughs> vote for him again in a million years. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Take a quick break. Joel Payne staying with us as a friend of Bill. And we'll be joined by Rebecca Lieber coming up from Mother Jones. Uh, so uh, we'll be right back. Stay right there. We'll be right back. On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go. What do you say? It is a Thursday, July 12th, uh, The Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. By the way, Sabrina Siddiqui is going to be here tomorrow uh, filling in. I'm going to be uh, up in uh, New York doing a big event for my latest book, uh, Bill Press told you about it before from the left a life in the crossfire check out our website at billpressshow.com uh, uh, for how you might uh, get a hold of a copy and what it's all about and as i mentioned yesterday this book soon to be followed by uh, the next book which is trump must go the top 100 reasons to dump trump and one reason maybe for keeping him around <laughs> 
Uh, we won't tell you what that one is. But anyhow, this comes out in September. I just got the uh, galley of it yesterday, so I'm excited about that. But for the time being, from the left, a life in the crossfires out there. Joel Payne is with us. As a friend of Bill for the entire hour, our Democratic strategist, Rebecca Lieber, covers environmental issues, particularly in politics in general, for Mother Jones. Hi, Rebecca. Nice to see you. Hi. Uh, so the big day yesterday, uh, Joel and everybody else at EPA, uh, Andrew, Anthony, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew Wheeler. Andrew Wheeler, uh, who was deputy to Scott Pruitt, has taken over, and he summoned all the employees at EPA yesterday to say, okay, here's who I am, and, and here's what uh, I want to do here at the agency. And how did you get into this meeting? Um, yeah, well, you this... snuck in? <laughs> I can't believe um, you invited the media. Yeah, normally I'm not invited to the EPA, but uh, it seems like they're trying to, to turn over a new leaf, uh, at least temporarily, for this new administrator. Um, I was getting deja vu because I was at the EPA on Pruitt's first day, where he delivered a very similar address to EPA employees. And at the time, people didn't quite know what to expect. From him, I mean, they had heard all the news reports, but uh, there was still some hope that things might not be as bad as predicted. Uh-huh. And um, I think the the mood was certainly a different yesterday because now uh, we have a year and a half of the Trump administration and attempts at steep budget cuts and uh, demoralized staffers. And uh, Wheeler came in um, uh, with a conciliatory tone, but he at the same time um, still struck the the similar conservative talking points that we heard from Pruitt um, that basically suggests he will continue what Pruitt started. So here uh, is uh, Mr. Wheeler yesterday, Ray, if we have that uh, clip where he's saying he got a call from the president last week. When President Trump called me last week and asked me to take the lead, he asked me to focus on three key areas. He said, clean up the air, clean up the water, and provide regulatory relief. I think we can do all three of those things at the same time. Now, there seems to be an internal contradiction <laughs> to me. I mean, yeah, clean up the air, clean up the water, but get rid of all the regulations, Joel, right, <laughs> that would, in fact, result in cleaner air and cleaner water. Kind of feels like it's a Trump uh, administration mantra, right? It's like... Just wish it to be true, but don't actually do the things you have to do to actually, uh, you know, get the results that you're claiming that you want, that there's no proof, by the way, that he actually cares about. Never once have I heard Donald Trump say anything about clean air and clean water. Not once. Yeah. So what what, did the, what was the reaction yesterday among the – were you able to talk to any of the employees? Did they... uh, well, not in the same room. Who, yeah. there, so there were career staffers who filled this this Rachel um, Rachel Carson room. That's the oh, what, what that room is called. Pruitt delivered the address in the same room. Um, I mean, I, I think the morale at the EPA is, has, is possibly at historic lows, even worse than the Ann Gorsuch years. Um, because at least in that case, uh, the EPA administrator who came behind um, Gorsuch, who was famous for being very, very similar to Pruitt and um, like condescending the agency, um, that there was hope that things would be turned around and things are not in that environment now. And the EPA's faced um, at least a decade of budget cuts and other challenges. So um, while Wheeler did offer an, an olive branch saying, uh, look, I did work for a coal company that's not 
all I did. And he talked about how he worked on a bill about coal miner protections. Um, so he certainly read his audience there. Um, I'm not sure he's convinced people that he uh, is is truly on uh, EPA staffer's side. Um, we'll so, see if he does listen to well, the experts. Well, a little reality check yeah. here. Great. In the last year and a half, Donald Trump and Scott Pruitt have overturned every single environmental regulation adopted under the Obama years that they were well, able to— Well, they've tried. That, that, okay, <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's a long process, so they've begun yeah, the process. They've begun the process, Courts right. Courts will have their say on that, too. Good, 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 good point. But they, uh, 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 everything they've been able to do to undo, they have undone, or at least started the process yeah. for undoing it. None of that's going to change under Wheeler, right? They're not going to go back and reinstate any of those. Yeah, so uh, Senator James Inhofe was in the room yesterday. He's a staunch oh. Wheeler ally. Um, so that, uh, if if your listeners are familiar with, it, with Inhofe, which I'm sure they are, he's the Senate's biggest climate change denier. He's um, a very uh, big yeah. ally. And Scott Pruitt's mentor yeah. from so, Oklahoma. So and, this and, is, and, yeah. Uh, Andrew Wheeler <laughs> used to work Oklahoma for him. mafia. No, yeah. absolutely. It, uh, I have a few theories on that. Um, some some political interests and donors in the Trump administration who come from Oklahoma, um, also the evangelical circles. But uh, yeah, so Wheeler does not um, represent a shift at all. The only difference uh, between him and Pruitt is that Wheeler comes of Washington. He worked a very long time ago at the EPA. He worked for Senator Inhofe for years um, he's uh, possibly the the speculation is he might be better at navigating some of the ethical um, yeah. the the ethics that sunk Pruitt. At the same time, he's a former lobbyist, so he will have to walk this fine line with his former clients. So he could be, in effect, Joel, more dangerous than Pruitt. Be- he could because yeah. more uh, effective. Yeah, and so two things. Number one, I don't think we can disentangle Andrew Wheeler from what we've seen over the last year and a half, right? I mean, he no. was right there with Pruitt, probably helping him execute this. I don't. I, I think the question that should be posed is: Is there anything that Scott Pruitt did that you disagree with, and have him actually? call out and say what he would do differently in terms of policy, if anything, because I haven't seen any evidence that he would. So that's one. Secondly, just a question for you. Is there a plan for the president to nominate somebody else? Does he feel like Wheeler's his guy going forward? You know, because this is just an interim label for Mr. Wheeler at the moment. Is there a plan to make him the permanent administrator or no? It's a great question. Uh, I think with all of the the uh, nominees that the Trump administration has to get through, especially before the midterms and a new Supreme Court nominee, um, this does not appear to be high on their list to nominate someone else. They have a their Senate-confirmed guy who is a big advocate for industry interests already there. So um, this could certainly carry out. Um, Wheeler could be nominated permanently for the post. Um, he already got through his Senate hearings. Uh, one thing, it, it almost kind of snuck through because this was happening right as the Pruitt scandals were blowing up and it seemed more and more likely Pruitt would step down. Wheeler was confirmed by the Senate, even though Democrats, environmentalists uh, called for that to be delayed mm. because he they wanted more scrutiny over his nomination given this new power. By the way, just one little insight into Scott Pruitt's management. Style at the uh, at the EPA, 
Um, last week, uh, we had as a guest from the um, American Federation of Government Employees, or AFGE, uh, the Nate, I think his name is Nate James. He is the head of the union for EPA employees. So he's an EPA career veteran, the head of all the federal employees who, who are union members who work at EPA headquarters here in Washington, uh, as well as around the country, but he's part of the headquarters here. And I asked him about his relationship with Scott Pruitt. He told us, I almost fell off my chair, if in 18 months, he had not only not met Scott Pruitt, not met him, not shaken his hand, he had never even seen him in the building. The he was in Oklahoma a lot, <laughs> traveling the country and the world. Yeah, and the world. I was going to say, yeah, he was in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. He was also over in Europe, yeah. uh, living, living, living the high life. Yeah. I mean, now, the idea that he may not have shaken hands or spoken to every single person who works in that building, because there are thousands of them, but still, the guy was the head of the employees. He had never even... But, Taking time to say, hey, maybe we ought to, you know, just have coffee or something. But this was like a launching point job for Scott Pruitt, right? I mean, all the reporting oh. tells us that this was a part of him trying. I mean, didn't he try to make himself a candidate for attorney general? Well, uh, what do you know about that? Down, et cetera? Uh, yeah, he he did float himself for attorney general. Uh, there were also his allies floating him for that position. Yeah, he, he, didn't he tell Trump to fire Jeff Sessions and make me <laughs> attorney general? Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, that yeah, those were the reports. I wouldn't put it past him. He um, from the start um, when I was covering him since his first day he approached this job as a campaign job he ran his uh press shop and the epa as if it were a political operation not a public agency um you saw that in the hostility to reporters and how pruitt uh extensively uh would outreach to the most um, conservative press that would tell this positive story while shutting out other reporters. Typically, that's not how uh, a, a government agency mm. works or should work. And um, he th that's just one example of how he um, kind of treated the EPA as this launching pad. He also hired political operatives to uh, mm -hmm. To do EPA policy, um, you there were all these reports and to cover up his schedule and erase the things from his schedule. Yeah, I mean they knew people, people were about. watching, so it's amazing that uh, what what he thought he could get away with. Um, he had people. There were people in his press shop um, who were looking through EPA grants, trying to find climate change. This is not how things are normally done. Um, and he's widely expected, and and it's possible he will still do this. Um, run for office in Oklahoma. Um, there you go. Down Here the we road. Come back to the Oklahoma. He might. Um, I haven't seen polls on him in Oklahoma these days, but um, he he was very popular there. He has strong allies like Inhofe there. So um, I think uh, there's a lot of um, cheer that he his political career is dead, and it's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Um, do there were the last time I checked some twelve investigations of Pruitt for his ethical problems. What happens to those now? Do they just end, or or do they continue? Is he still in hot water? Could be. In so I've I've almost it's been really hard to count these investigations because they kept ballooning. So. The number might even have been higher than that, but um, <laughs> I thought twelve was high. <laughs> yeah, um, 
but um, and no signs of going away. Um, the they actually do continue. Um, it depends. So for EPA uh, Inspector General investigations, which are the bulk of these investigations, he's under. Um, I asked after he stepped down or announced he would step down um, the the IG office. Well, what happens to those investigations? Mm -hmm. They confirmed to me these continue regardless. Um, many of these are audits of of EPA policy. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean Pruitt would be hauled back in for repercussions um, if they what whenever they reach their conclusions. Um, but they do they refer cases um, that do have possible criminal conduct um, to the Department of Justice. Democrats in Congress have asked. Uh, for a criminal probe of Pruitt, um, unclear what happens to that. But the but many of the investigations he's under do continue. Um, so I guess we might we might be hearing more about Scott Pruitt. So it may not be the end of the story, Joel. It it, it sure doesn't seem like it. Um, and and it's just you know I, I think um, we can have a real discussion here about is this the most corrupt. Uh, member of the Trump administration, or or has this been the low watermark for the Trump administration? I mean, this certainly seems like it, right? It seems like this was kind of rock bottom in terms of this president who claimed to want to drain the swamp, yeah. claimed to want to clean up Washington, and essentially doubled down on the swamp, uh, doubled the size of the swamp with Scott Pruitt's EPA. I, I, I really wonder um, what history is going to tell us in terms of No, that. hardly alone of um, p people around Donald Trump who have had ethical conflicts. If you're starting with Tom Price or Michael Flynn, I guess, or well, maybe Flynn was a different matter, but Tom Price for sure. You mentioned Ben Carson earlier. and Zinke has had his Zinke own trouble. and David Shulkin. And Rick Perry has strangely been the one to lay low. <laughs> I know. It is strange. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Pruitt probably worst of all, and yet and yet lasted longer because I always figured that Donald Trump liked what he was doing at EPA. So Pretty he much. was willing to look <laughs> the other way about all the condo story and the getting the the favorite body lotion story. And well, and but the reason why he stepped he he was forced to step down wasn't because of the scandals, right? It was because he floated out the news about the attorney general stuff <laughs> that made him that that's what set the president off, right? That, that is that's, that's, that's that what that was reported is. that yeah. that that Yeah, <laughs> so, I I I've stopped trying to get inside Trump's head um but <laughs> um, yeah, Pruitt, he, he said um, the White House's line on Pruitt whenever asked, what are you doing about this, uh, was, well, we like what he's doing. Yeah. Um, he's been effective and and whatnot. Yeah. Um, on his last day, did, wasn't there like so, sort of like one parting shot of Pruitt that one more environmental regulation he killed on the very last day or some— Right, he did. I happened to be taking off that day, so I uh, wasn't covering it. Um, Pruitt fortunately resigned on a Thursday, not not when I was planning on vacation. But um, yeah, he did. He did um, reverse an Obama era rule. Um, Yet again, right, right before he left, um, many of the rules he's he's begun to reverse are just going to continue the process under Wheeler, um, and we're expecting soon um, another another big regulation that um, just came uh, will be announced at some point. It's under it's at the White House for review. Is the replacement for Obama's clean power plan? Obama that's Obama's signature climate plan for reducing emissions at power plants and. Um, the EPA has to do something to replace it because it, that is 
what's legally required. So um, that could very well be one of Wheeler's first big moves is unveiling that uh, whatever they're doing there, um, which would likely have to acknowledge climate change is real. So that mm. it'll be interesting to watch that. Now, Joel and I have been talking, we we're talking in the last half hour about um, Brett Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court nominee. Uh, some of these issues could end up in front of the court. What do we know about Kavanaugh and his environmental background leanings or whatever? Well, he's, he's if anything, yeah. As in most issues, he's a reliable conservative vote on the the court. Um, a few key issues to watch, which um, I'm sure you've gotten into, is um, on Chevron deference, the precedent uh, where. Uh, the government or courts defer to agency expertise when they are dis ruling on um, dis ruling on a challenge, saying that the EPA didn't interpret the statute properly on um, carbon emissions or what have you. Um, the courts generally, under this precedent, defer to the agencies. Um, Kavanaugh, as well as Gorsuch, um, lean towards wanting to chip away at that precedent, which would mean under a future administration or under these these challenges, um, these these lawsuits over Trump rolling back Obama rules, that the court um, could be less likely to say, well, the agency knows what it's doing here. Um, there's also um, so, so I said, what I understand you're saying is like the scientist at the EPA. The court is saying, no, don't pay attention to those scientists at the EPA. Yeah, right. and policymakers at the EPA. It's it's the basically the courts would lit it would um, kind of take some of the power back from the agencies um, and have to uh, pour over the science, deciding what um, what uh, the science says. These are not scientists who sit on the court. Um, and the other key issue is just what he does about climate change regulations. He said climate change is real, but when um, on on rules that um, he's issued um, opinions, he has uh, said the agency doesn't have the authority from Congress. Um, so that's a major issue as environmentalists and states try to force the Trump administration to do something about climate change. Um, that's a huge legacy that Kavanaugh would have on the court because these are our most critical years to address it, um, and he could say, "Well, the government doesn't have tools to do it." Yeah, he 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 does seem, in several of his opinions, to have for that the government is overreaching, the government's going too far, agencies are going too far. You got to limit their powers, which is not a good sign in terms of upholding the EPA or or even the Affordable Care Act. You know, as I'm thinking about this, um, I'm reminded this of my— could be one more plank for Democrats to go after. Sorry. Absolutely. No, 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 you're fine. Um, my favorite quote about Brett Kavanaugh uh, came from Dick Durbin. You may have heard this, uh, where a couple years ago, I think he was being nominated for the lower court, and Dick Durbin called him the Forrest Gump of Republican politics. Hmm. Because essentially he's been there at every watershed moment over the last 20 years. Right. And, and I'm sure you can go through the environmental regulations and you can kind of point those out. But if you go back to Whitewater, Bush v. Gore, um, a number of issues throughout the 2000s, Brett Kavanaugh has been, a, 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 you know, essentially, a, a, you know, a fly in the ointment for progressives um, over the last 20 years. And so, you know, for those who think that there should be like a languishing concern about 
um, his nomination. I mean, there's a lot there to be concerned about if you care about these progressive issues. And he's been at the tip of the spear on the other side for a long time. Yeah. No, yeah. He, uh, uh, oh, uh, an environmentalist uh, called him Lord Voldemort. Um, I think that <laughs> great that summarizes like that the <laughs> environmental opinion of what what this will do. Kennedy was the key fifth vote on a lot of environmental decisions. So, um, yeah, it's there's lots of names for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one big mistake people would be making is to assume that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be the next Anthony Kennedy because he's not. He and Gorsuch are both going to be the next Sam Alito. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Or the next Neil Gorsuch or whatever, you know, who's already proven to be the second most conservative member of the bench, Clarence Thomas being the most, but but even to the right of Scalia, Gorsuch so far. And and that that that's the mold. Um totally unrelated to Scott Pruitt or whatever. We I can't we can't go into the weekend without getting your thoughts on what can we expect from when Donald Trump one-on-one with Vladimir Putin on Monday in Helsinki. You want to go first? Uh, oh, well, I, I'll, I guess I'll just plug. Um, I Yeah, not... not I'll go plug ahead. a uh, story I did on, the, right. on um, I think, the overlooked Russia connection when we talk about all the Russia investigations. When Trump announced he would pull out from the Paris Climate Agreement, um, Putin said, uh, don't worry, be happy at a summit was his reaction. He uh, was you could tell this was he was happy about this decision about the U.S. pulling out because it gave Russia a better um, ledge for negotiating global positions. So who knows if the Paris Agreement will come up? (laughs) Yeah. Doing Putin's dirty work is what he's doing. What stands out to me is it's pretty obvious that the president thinks that he's playing this three-dimensional chess with Vladimir Putin where he's not criticizing him, but he's doing stuff that he won't like. And I think what's frustrating to me is it's clear that Putin is running circles around him, and I think the world can see it, not just us, not just here in progressive radio land, but the entire world can see it. And this president is going to be the last person to realize this is a war he's completely overmatched for, with a a match of wits with this guy. He has no chance. KGB wins again. Hey, Rebecca, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Mother Jones, motherjones.com. And uh, Joel, great to see you, too. Thank you. Have a great day, this folks. Sabrina's here tomorrow. The Press Show. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.